What is going on, guys, and welcome back to the Pick Swap Podcast. My name is Sean Bernard, and I'm here with James Barain. The vibes are high in the Sixers world, and I would not want to be breaking down with anyone else. James, how are we doing today? How are you feeling? Dude, uh, feeling great. We're, you know, 10% into this season, and I feel fantastic. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously check back in here in a couple of weeks, but still, right now, I uh, feel pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. It is amazing. I, I did not think that we would be the lone team at eight and one in the NBA. First place across the entire NBA. One of four teams in the top 10 in offensive and defensive rating. Oh, and by the way, they have the brightest young star across the entire league in Tyrese Maxey. So I do not want to bury the lead. I want to touch on what we, what we witnessed last night, a 50 point performance from Tyrese Maxey. I'll begin with this question for you, James. If I had told you within 10 games of this season, Tyrese Maxey will be dropping a 50-point game at the NBA level with Joel Embiid in the game. What would you say? Um, I would say, like, I believe it, man. I do. Um, this <laughs> guy, I like, honestly, I, I don't know what else to, like, I don't know what ceiling to put on him. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. it's honestly kind of irresponsible for us to try to put a ceiling on him or try to compare him to anyone, um, you know, pre and post his career. I think that he is one of a kind right now. And um, obviously, coming off that game, we're going to be feeling fantastic about him. But over the last three seasons, game after game, year after year, every time we've put um, restraints on him or tried to put him in a box of who he might be, he's crushed those expectations. So yeah. 50 points, just another notch, right? Like just another thing that he's done that we weren't expecting. And damn, dude, it was fun to watch. He is uh, he's elite. Yeah, that was my yeah. first thought this morning was just like, damn, dude, we have an elite guard. That does everything. Um, yeah. And it's a pretty good feeling, man. Yeah, he's ready. He's here. And just to rattle off the entire stat line for Tyrese Maxey, 50 points, seven rebounds, five assists, three blocks, a plus 17, shot 20 of 32 from the field and seven of 11 from beyond the three-pointer. Just crazy numbers, like a heat check. He was hitting heat checks, step back threes. The amount of separation he creates on a step back is straight up absurd. Like the way he just kind of has that little snatch dribble and like, like he's getting like five feet of space against guys, which is crazy for his size. And I do want to make sure I bring up the blocks because he has so far this season, Tyrese Maxey has nine blocks so far this year. He had eight blocks all of last season. That And these aren't just like fluke blocks. These are timing plays. These are instinct plays. There's a hustle plays that he has to read out, have the instincts and athleticism for, and he's delivering on. So defensively, he's been far and away progressed in a way that I didn't think was possible. And, there's so much talk about all the playmaking, all the scoring, and, and deservingly so because he's leaps and bounds better there as well. But defensively, like I didn't even think that side of things was possible, and and it's already here. Yeah, and I think I mean not to like not to go backwards in all of these conversations, but for him, it, it just shows like the the natural ability has been there from the beginning. He has had yeah. all of these tools from the start. It was just a matter of time for him to kind of put it all together, and whether that was in terms of his role and how, how many times it's changed and, and been, uh, you know, moved and switched and, and he's had to adapt and maneuver and be flexible, which is 
to his credit, has been fantastic. Yeah. He's done a great job in all of those different kind of facets of his career so far. But now he's getting to be fully Tyrese Maxey, fully yeah. himself. Keys in the pocket. It's his kind of team to run at this point, which is insane. Obviously, Joel is still Joel, but he has been able to offensively take control of his game. And then defensively, he's I think Nurse challenges him significantly more than Doc did of Definitely. you got to be better here. You got to fight over screens. You got to be more active on this side. And he's taken that challenge um, and, and gone head on. So he's been, I don't know if we can say enough good things about him so far, but dude, like the, the Drew Holiday chase down block that he had last week was like, okay, like, okay, like, all right, Tyrese, like we get it. That was a legit like chase down block on a dunk. Yeah. Which you don't oh, see yeah. from a guy that's 6'2", six, 6'3", six, maybe. His size, what he does, like you don't see that from those guys. So for him yeah. to be doing that on a, a good wing, like that was healed that he blocked, right? Yeah, it was buddy. Mm-hmm. He's what six seven? Uh, I think he's a little smaller than that, but he's six, a couple six, inches five, bigger than Maxi, no six, doubt. Six, yeah, I think like, he's like six five. Yeah, he's a wing, right? Like he he's chased down blocking a wing on a dunk attempt. That's <laughs> that's insane to even think about. And- his hand was like at like the top of the square for that. Like he was, was up there for that. <laughs> it was gross, dude. It was really, really gross. And I can't believe that like that that's what he's doing. He's not only putting up 50, but he's also doing that. Um, it's great to see from him. Yeah. And to touch on, you mentioned Joel there, and, and we should as well. He he ended with 37, 13, and seven last night. Another seven assist performance for him. Pretty efficient, 12 of 26 from the field. Got, uh, eight offensive rebounds for Joel last night, which is incredibly impressive. That's higher than he got all of last season, that number right there. So that's another Nick Nurse effect. And I've danced around this take for a couple weeks now, and I'm ready to put it in cement, lock it in stone, put this in whatever. The the two-man game between Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey is the most dominant two-man pairing that Joel Embiid has ever had, the most dynamic, the most ways that they can score. And the reason I want to break this down and, and go through this part by part is James Harden is the obvious answer for what it's been to date. James Harden is incredibly elite at the things that he does, but very limited in the things that he can do. And by the way, I, I won't go down the rabbit hole, but James Harden in LA right now, he has yet to attempt a shot without th- within three feet of the basket so far in, in a Clippers jersey. That should be the most frightening thing to Clippers fans as far as what his body's doing. But as far as back to the good days of James Harden in Philadelphia, it was either the little pocket pass to Joel, which Harden was one of the best of all time at, at making that pass, or it was you get the switch, you get a big man on you, and it's isolation ball, and it's either the step back three, or you can kind of, I guess, force your way past him and get to the basket and never look that clean from James Harden doing that. Also factor in like the Ben Simmons pairing with that. Guys just went under every single screen. There was never a threat of a jumper, and that's why the pick and rolls with Simmons and Embiid never worked because there was no threat of scoring. When you add in Tyrese Maxey to this, there were moments last night where every time a guy went under the screen, Maxey just purely shot a three. He also has the floater in this little mid-range game in a way that Harden just straight up doesn't, or at this point in his career doesn't at least. And then finishing around the rim, he's also far and away better than Harden, that he can finish in a variety of ways, the way he's able to kiss it off the glass and get that kind of spin on it, and the way that he can attack a million miles per hour and still get that soft touch is so impressive to me. So, James, do you agree with me that the Maxi and Embiid pairing is the best two-man game we've ever seen with Embiid? Yeah, I don't think it's, honestly, I don't really even think it's close at this point. And I think that we can kind of look back even farther, like peel this back two more layers, and you think back to the two-man game of Seth Curry, and even sure. before that, J.J. Redick, and how much we enjoyed watching those offensively. And those guys, all they did was shoot. All they did was shoot. And that was threat enough to create a lot of open space for Joel, 
um, and Joel was big enough and, and, you know, garnered enough attention to then create enough space for them to get shots off. And those were, that's why those were dangerous. But then you factor in how Maxi not only can shoot, not only can get downhill, but he's now growing as a playmaker um, and creating a lot of plays for other players, whether that's shooting the ball, whether that's to Joel, that pocket pass has been working for them as well. And he's created a lot of opportunities for Joel in that mid-range space as well. Um, but he's he's able to do all three things. I feel like all of the pairings that Joel has had in the past had a limitation on one of those three or four levels, right? Like JJ and Seth, they can't really drive. They're not really getting to the rim. Harden's not really even getting to the rim for being completely honest with you. Yeah. Um, and then Simmons really couldn't, wasn't spacing the floor at all. Wasn't bringing guys out to the three-point line to shoot. He was only trying to get downhill, really only trying to pass. Max is able to do all of those things at a, a really high level. And on yeah. top of that, dude, like he's young, he's spry, and he's like at your neck at every second of the game. Like he puts so much pressure on the defense. Um, and it, you look at a, a game like that for draw, where what do you have? 37? Yep, 37. And who cares? 37 points and <laughs> nobody cares. Nobody yeah. cares. And it was like he had 19 in the first quarter. Like yeah. he was he was quietly dominating that game from the start. And then Maxi took over, obviously, in the in the two in-between quarters. But like, dude, if he can hand the reins to Tyrese and he comes off the court and he can put up 25 points in the second quarter, like, dude, if that's what we're doing right now, we're cooking with gas. And it's a really yep. nice thing to watch, um, especially when you put in between there like a bunch of good defensive switchable wings. Whew, it just feels great to watch. Yeah, it's happening, man. And the yeah. the other layer that they're adding to like this two man game is Joel will get the ball and just like hold it outstretched, and it's either he'll like pop it up to Maxi or it'll just be a straight handoff. And the yeah. way that like he just positions himself where it's like a screen, and then Maxi's essentially just walking to a spot up three pointer. That's been automatic as well, and that's another area that would just be impossible with James Harden because he does not move off ball like that. We've seen the relocation threes for Maxi. He's just such a dynamic offensive weapon that is fully being unleashed. And I think last night specifically, the 50-point performance, the way it happened, the way the whole flow of the game, that the Pacers really tried to up the tempo of that game. And Maxi was yeah. essentially the answer for that, that he's a guy who nobody's outrunning this guy. Nobody's getting up and down the court yeah. quicker than this kid. So he kind of was the answer to that. And I think for Joel specifically, it was a little bit of a light bulb moment last night of like, okay, he's here. He's ready. This is my now co-star. This is my guy. And I can take my foot on the gas and defer to him when he has it going, which last night he clearly did. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got to be a nice thing for him. Um, and it's nice to know that they can win in like a variety of ways. Obviously they've proven that up to this point, um, but to now look at him and, but like, if you're looking at, again, we've kind of talked about this and, and from last year and this year, like from last year's perspective, like, we just don't look like we play modern basketball, right? And then coming into this year is like this team plays a little bit faster. They have the wings. They play modern style basketball. They look like they're playing in today's NBA. And now you have a guy like Maxi who's a fantastic guard who scores on all three levels really quick, great handle. Like he's doing everything that we want from a primetime guard at this point in time where you just haven't had that in the past. And he's now not only just being a starter level player, he's flourishing. We really don't know what this might turn out to be. All-star, all-NBA. Those things are on the table at this point. Yep. And that's incredible 100%. to say. So there's, you know, we don't, this is kind of, again, this is kind of just the first step. Like we're nine games into the season. We're having this conversation. Obviously you need to sustain that. But from our perspective, I think from the league's perspective, this is a sustainable model to winning basketball games. I think it is like the most 
sustainable model. And I wanted to ask you actually, because <clears throat> I saw this earlier, I feel like the Sixers have always been a, a disliked team over the last five, six years, right? Like I don't think Ben and Joel was a very likable duo. I don't think people outside of this organization really, you know, they weren't fun to watch necessarily. James and yeah. Joel, obviously a similar, you know, feeling towards them. They were not, they're foul grifters, whatever you want to call them. Um, this is pure basketball right now. <clears throat> Do you think Tyrese and his ascension now creates, now makes the Sixers a, a likable team? Like you think around the league, I feel like they're just becoming a much more likable team um, yeah. for fans and other teams alike. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. And part of it, I think, is play style is there's much more of the the team friendly stuff, guys moving around, guys playing harder, just straight up. And Tyrese Maxey is straight up impossible to dislike. Like, I, I can't say enough good things about this guy and, and not to just fully dive in and make this the, the Tyrese Maxey show. But Saturday, he had a his turkey drive in Philadelphia that I had a chance to attend and cover from the, the media side of things there. And first off, the, the 24 hours that Maxey had there is had a, a nice cool, I believe it was 29 and 11 in Detroit, leading them to a win there. Team plane flies back, lands at 2 a.m. He goes home, goes to sleep, is at George Washington Carver High School, where this event was uh, by noon the next day, and then still made it to practice at 1 o'clock for the Sixers practice. Family donated 10,000 turkeys that they gave them out to families in need for Thanksgiving. Very awesome event of him doing this, him making the time, him finding a way to fit it in amid all this. And I had a, a cool conversation with Maxie's mom that I was just kind of uh, kind of trying to give her her flowers. Just be like, like, for real, this is one of the most beloved guys in the entire city. Like, I, I it's amazing that he's putting in the effort to do with all this and stuff. And I made a comment that last year when I was on the beat, like doing dealing with players from the media side of things like Tyrese Maxey truly was one of the the nicest guys as far as dealing with media because I on several occasions there were moments where the Sixers PR tend to keep kind of things under wrap and they'll be like all right we're, we're moving on to the next guy and Maxey on, on several times was like no hold up like you have another question do you give something you want to ask and like kept that which little things like that matter but anyway I said that to to Maxey's mom that I was just like it's, he truly is one of the nicest guys as far as dealing with the media and dealing with everyone. And Maxie's mom looks right back at me and just goes, well, he better be. <laughs> and it, like that kind of like, it's cool to see like how he's brought up. And by the way, it was his whole like family running that event. So it's just impossible to straight up dislike this guy. It can't be done the way he goes about his business on and off the court. And that smile is just infectious, man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and again, not to make it about us, which we always, you know, end up doing, but Sixers fans have been through a lot and, and we've had a lot of, guys that we wanted to be and like urged and, and like yearned for them to be a certain way um, on and off the court. Those guys did or did not work out. Um, you can obviously assume who we're alluding to in certain situations, <laughs> whether it was physically or not, like those things just didn't work out. And, you know, coming from the 21st pick COVID year, weird first season to getting benched for whatever reason last year, like, everything that he's kind of gone through to now like fully see him being who he, you know, we always kind of thought he might be able to be and hoped he might be able to be. It's just been an awesome um, experience for us. And I think like really he might be the only, he might have been the only thing that got people like to buy back in um, yeah. for him to be as good as he is. And I think people just immediately, like it's really hard to watch him play and not be like, well, I want to watch him every night. So it's nice to have that for all of us as well to like, everyone can kind of share that feeling about him um, because he is so good. And like you said, like everything he does, is just infectious. It's like, how could he not be your favorite player? If you watch him on a nightly basis. 
he came off the bench for 19 games last season, James. 19 games that Doc Rivers benched him for D'Anthony Melton. The guy that just scored 50 points in an NBA game last night was benched for D'Anthony Melton, and Doc Rivers lied to us and told us that it was Dan'th- or that it was Tyrese Maxey's idea to come off the bench. That happened last year. I, like I can't Doc's believe this. Asshole. Yeah, <laughs> the Doc. I I would love. I can't wait till Doc Rivers hops on a call for a Sixers game because this is just it looks like they're playing a different sport than they did last year. This is just not the same team. And yes, there's been turnover. Yes, there's no more James Harden. But a lot of this is a credit to Nick Nurse. It absolutely is, just as far as how much different things look on offense and defense. And Maxi, I think, is like the biggest beneficiary of this on both sides of the ball. Defensively, like the way that they swarm, the way that they trap, it makes life so much easier than what they what Doc Rivers was basically having guys guard one-on-one, which is a lot of basketball. I get that. But like, Nick Nurse deserves so much credit for this. I can't wait to hear Doc Rivers' opinion on this entire team, but it it is amazing sitting at eight and one. Do you have any other hard hitting takeaways for for the team as a whole before I shift gears a little bit? Yeah, I don't want to hear Doc on a call. I I can't. I I don't want to hear it. I he's just gonna lie the whole time. He's just gonna bullshit like the entire time. And we we've already seen that. Like he literally just told us like, oh yeah, Maxi asked to be benched, um, like that kind of thing. So I don't want to hear it from him. He's just gonna make up a bunch of random stories that are just fake. But um, I mean, right now, man, it's like it is really night and day. It honestly is from from what we've seen in the past and defensively. I think like watching them play defense is like. Whew, it feels like you just took like a, an energy drink the way that they look yeah. out there. They're flying around. And then, you know, these guys are allowed to be aggressive. I don't know if we talked about this before. It's similar to like the Utah Jazz a couple yes. of years yeah, ago yeah. with Rudy. Like it's that kind of deal. And then Joel has just been a monster down there and been really, really engaged on that end. Um, you can really tell when he's not. Like there have been times, especially Detroit early on, like yeah. they did, he did not look engaged defensively. And that's kind of where those things kind of fell apart. But when he locks in, um defensively and on the boards like rebounding has been huge for him like this is the first time in a long time we've seen him like leap upwards get a rebound and bring it down and i know something that you've harped on for years is just like he's not a good rebounder for a guy that's seven Mm -hmm. foot three um he's figured it out and they're definitely they're moving in the right direction i think defensively you you go down the line of the last four or five years of the competitive championship caliber teams they're all top three defensive teams um and the sixers are are on route to be one of those teams as well. So that's definitely a number one thing. Obviously Tyrese and Joel can, can handle the offense as long as they're still always competing defensively. Um, I think they'll always just have a really good chance to win any ball game that they're in. Yeah. And uh, to follow up on that point, this is a tweet from Paul Hudrick of Liberty ballers here that kind of hit the nail on the head with it. He said two telling Joel Embiid stats, 2.1 blocks per game, which is the highest since his rookie year, 3.4 offensive rebounds, his career high is 2.8. Those are numbers that demonstrate high activity level on both ends. He's in great shape and playing his ass off. And that's pretty nail on the head that we can just it. see it. Yeah, I love it. Um, and, and this all like this all starts and ends with Joel Embiid's buy-in. Like the assists, too. He's averaging 5.7 assists per game, which it would be a career high for him. What was our, over, what was our over under? Oh, Do you I'm going to I'm gonna have to run the tape on this one. I be, It was definitely in the fives. I think it was probably 5.5 if I okay. remember off the top of my head. So yeah, I think we both took over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and it's necessary. Like, he has to buy in as a playmaker. This does not happen without Joel. And even those offensive rebounding numbers, some of that has to do with scheme, too, is that so often when the flow of offense, it was living or dying with that mid-range, that 12-footer, which he is very automatic on, but he's not just settling for that as much anymore. There's much more just dynamic play, rolling, uh, 
being being in position under the under the rim in a way that he just hasn't been in past years and he's just getting more swings at it as Nick Nurse kind of likes to, to use that phrase there so it really is coming together and I would do want to swing over but before I do this I do want to send a, a quick prayer for Kelly Oubre yeah that was kind of scary how that all went down um very disappointing for Kelly on a human being level and a basketball player that beyond just playing some of his best basketball of his career and, and definitely in a way that translates to winning it truly felt like he had found his niche and was loving it here in Philadelphia, loving it playing for the Sixers. I'm very happy that it isn't anything worse. That uh, with the way the reports broke, that I, I saw that late last night, and they were using some scary terms like instable condition, out indefinitely, or yeah. we'll miss an extended period of time. And it's like, all right, what what is this guy dealing with? So yeah. broken ribs. Not that they're any joke by any means, but I do think all things considered, that glad this happened, and it sucks that it was a whole hit and run in the situation as a whole. But prayers up for Kelly. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like the um with him, obviously on court, we've seen some of the, you know, really great play from him and fitting in here. Um, it seems like he's a really, really liked guy in that locker Definitely. room, top to bottom. Um, and he's put he's made a really, really good impression on the city as a whole. Um, so I think it was like it was like you said, it was like crazy getting that notification yeah. and everything um on Friday night. So yeah, quick uh hopefully for a quick recovery from him. It seems like he's hoping a nurse said yesterday or you know yeah last night before the game like he wants to make it he wants to make it back as quick as possible but take his time um he'll be back you know sooner than we think and i'm sure he'll be hopefully back in in full form but i'm glad he's all good yeah definitely and they said they're going to reevaluate him in a week which will probably have a more concrete idea as far as timeline and specific injuries rib injuries like broken rib essentially he's just rest he's just gonna have to let it heal which it sucks he's gonna have to spend time away from the basketball court but as i mentioned all things considered for how scary of a situation that is just thankful that he's his life is not in danger and there's not an injury worse than that but definitely a, a huge bummer for for kelly as a whole um to switch gears and move into his replacement nicholas batum is quickly becoming one of my favorite players him. like across the i i i sent a text uh to nick last night where i said that I, I think Nick Batum might be my third favorite player on the Sixers right now. That I think <laughs> B-Ball Paul might have been leaped by uh, Nick Ooh. Batum in my mind. It might go Embiid, Maxi, and Nick Batum as far as how much he's just perfect as like a such a high IQ player, su- such a great connector. How do you feel about Nick Batum? Yeah, Nico, dude, I love him. Um, I actually so to kind of go from the beginning, I had a and not a, I don't want to say an argument, but a, a small disagreement with somebody at work because when they made the trade. Um, he was like, I hate Nick Batum. He's the worst. Um, and I was like, you don't know nothing about Nick Batum, man. You don't know anything about this guy. Um, he's so He does all the small things well. He's such a good defender, so smart. Yeah. He, even though he's lost his step athletically, he's always in the right spot. Like I, I almost put it as like offensively, he's... You remember when like Danny Green just always found himself in the correct spot to catch and shoot? That feels like what Nick Batum is mm-hmm. offensively, but he has the passing ability, the ball handling ability, and like the movement shooting that our other shooters have not really had. Um, and then, like I said, defensively, he's big. He's got long arms. He's got quick hands. He's smart. He's chased down blocks a couple of times. Like he just knows where to be. And those guys are so valuable, especially for a guy in his role where he's not getting the ball very often. You got to make the most of his opportunities. He had the quick release, like up at his head catch and shoot didn't dip at all i love to see that dude yeah. just like little stuff like that just makes me happy <laughs> i'm watching those games and i'm like pointing out to my roommates and they don't give a shit they're like okay yeah man i'm like did you see it did you see he did the no dip jumper and they don't care 
Um, but I love it. And he's, he's been a super fun to watch. And um, I think that he helps in, in those moments as well. Like Maxian and bead, obviously they can kick it to him and he'll make the right decision when he's, when these guys are getting doubled or the play gets clogged up, he knows the right thing to do. And it's proven in that, that it's only taken him two or three games to like get in a full rhythm with this team. It looks like he's been playing with them for years and that's a really, really tough thing to do, especially at the professional level. So mm-hmm. shout out to Nick Batum. I think he's been awesome and probably like the biggest chip in that trade. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's in the starting spot for the long term that I don't see the yeah. Sixers moving out of this role. I think he's perfect. And he, you kind of touched on a little bit. I think he's like the best versions of like a lot of fan favorites. When we talk about the the PJ Tucker, the Georges Niang, Danny Green, he's like the right combination of all those kind of guys. And defensively, he started the game on Tyrese Halliburton yesterday. And I did think like his size bothered him a little bit. And Batum seemed to take that personally. That's going to be kind of the question. That's still my biggest concern with the Sixers team. And to kind of shift gears and talk a little bit about kind of expectations or what this team is still missing, if anything. But Batum might be the guy that's asked to guard number ones right now. It's going to be Batum or Tobias Harris. D'Anthony Melton, actually, we'll touch on him a little bit too, because that's probably the lone dark spot right now. But uh, as far as Batum as a whole, I'm comfortable knowing like he can have as big or as small of a role on a night-to-night basis. Like I do think we're going to have a couple random games where Batum's a 20-point scorer this year, and I still yeah. think that there's going to be games where he like doesn't really touch the rock at all, but he still makes his impact. He's always in the right spot. I do love that we got the no-dip jumper, the the quickest yeah. release of I think it is the quickest release of anybody in the NBA. And they're there. like I remember him hitting one against the Sixers a couple years ago that like I didn't even think he caught the ball. It was like in and out before like anything. Um, but yeah, it's awesome to have that on our side and it feels like he's buying in a little too. Like he was obviously not thrilled to be traded. I get it. He was, he sounds like he's not even committed to being retired at the end of this year, which I thought was the case. Um, and he shouldn't like, he has life left in his legs. His body is not, it it wouldn't be a retirement by, I'm, I can't play anymore. It would be by, I don't want to, which doesn't happen for a lot of guys. So I hope he sticks around. I'm a big fan of Nick Batum, but Let's let's touch on DeAnthony Mountain a little bit. What's your level of concern for DeAnthony Mountain at this point in the game? Um, I just think he's been bad. Yeah, he's been he's been tough at times. Um, he had a decent <laughs> game last night. No, like I felt like he he shot the ball a little bit better. He had a little stretch where he made a couple of threes. Um, I think his role is not who he is right now. Like he's not a backup point guard. He should not be handling the ball like really at all, especially in a full court scenario. Um. I do like I like I like Melton a lot. I think that his defensive skill set is really important. Um, but I do think that he's better suited coming off the bench or just in a smaller role. Um, I think that would probably be like that's the number one thing, probably is like either another combo guard, ball handler, someone off the bench that can kind of take some of his minutes and, and rotate that like three or four man uh guard rotation that they, you know be the next guy up. I don't know who yeah. that is. I'm sure we'll we'll maybe bring up some names at some point. But um yeah, dude, it's tough. It sucks to see it happen to him because I think at some point last year, like he was he was really, really good. And I'm sure at some point this year he will be. I think that's kind of the only thing keeping me in on him is that like I've seen we've seen the best of the Anthony Melton. Um and there's points in time where it felt like the ball was going in every time he shoots it. Uh now it feels kind of the opposite where it's like I'm surprised if that thing's going in. Um but I don't know. I, I think I think that he's better suited not in the role that he's currently in, uh, but he's mm-hmm. kind of like patching up some of the small holes that the Sixers currently have in the roster, um, and that's okay for now. But I do think it's something that will should be and probably will be addressed when the time comes. Yeah, I 
I guess I feel bad for him. I like DeAnthony Mount a lot. He's been very good for this team throughout his tenure. He was excellent last year, especially. I guess this is where I get to is if we want the Sixers team to be a legitimate championship contender, which is obviously the goal, do you believe that DeAnthony Mountain is a starting caliber shooting guard on a championship team? I mean, I guess I, I to answer that question, like straightforward, no. I think the answer is yeah. no. Um, I agree. I I think that there's like layers to that, though. Sure. It depends on who else is in the starting lineup. But as it stands right now, like, no, I, I don't think that that's what they I hope that's not what they want either. I think that like they're either going to upgrade somewhere or like things will change in that specific situation yeah and and there could be a world where like d'anthony mountain slides to a six-man role when kelly Oubre comes back and we're looking at a lineup of tyrese maxi kelly Oubre, nick patoom tobias harris and joel Embiid, which i like quite a bit that's some good length some good athleticism big lineup. big lineup yeah i still think that's a little short ball handling like i i i think that's kind of a the spot i'm eyeing of where they need to upgrade i've seen some alex caruso buzz flying around zach levine obviously a popular name there's plenty of guys going around but i think in my mind, the two areas of concern I still have with this team when we talk big picture, obviously the vibes are great right now. They're playing terrific, so I'm not in a rush to fix this. But the, my two big picture areas of concern is still defending opposing wings, the Jason Tatums, the Jalen Browns, the Giannis, those type of players that they are going to have to go through in the playoffs. And I just think that they need an additional like ball handler that can create, like a guy like in a way that DeAnthony Melton just can't. I know he had six assists last night. He's been pretty good by his standards, by the playmaking standpoint, but it's clearly not natural for him. And he still has like the moments where it, it feels like he just forgets how to have play basketball for a second, yeah. which I don't really enjoy seeing out of him. But would you agree with that assessment as far as areas of concern? Yeah, 100%. I think that that is like maybe the area um, that they're going to have to address at some point. Um, again, I think that they, they're in a real, they're in such a good spot that they're, they're playing really well. Um, they've proven that against some good teams as well that they can, you know, they're not just beating up on some bad teams. Uh, they've gone out there like Indiana has been like, I think Indiana is quietly very good this year. Um, sure. And obviously they beat Boston and they've played some good teams. They've also beat up on some bad teams as well, but they have this, this period now where it's like, not only are we not going to make a move, we really can't right? like they can't really do anything until like January. So we have this, this period of time, this next six to eight weeks where they can really, firmly honestly evaluate the roster how they look how they're playing and come to a decision of like hey this is where we're going to go from here we're either going to go all in and make this trade or we're going to make this small like ancillary piece trade and it's nice to have this period um, but i do think that like the i know this is kind of a question that we, we touched on earlier like tyrese being as good as he's been not only like eases that process it makes it like your target list like way smaller it yeah. narrows that list, which makes things a lot easier. Um, and I think that that'll help them in the long term as well. So I, I definitely agree with you there. So if they go into the playoffs without making a significant move, which I do think is on the table, I, I would not completely shock me if Daryl Morey wants to keep this cap space plan to look for a bigger fish in the offseason. And really, if this team is playing as well as they have to start the season, I, I kind of get it. What do you think the outlook is if they go into the playoffs right now as the team's currently constructed? Yeah, I mean, I think that they're good enough to compete with anybody. Like, I, I don't, I don't really see why not at this point. Um, especially once you get Ubre back, I don't think, like, on paper, you don't have enough star power, right? Like, you just don't, and that's what like really comes into play in the playoffs. Um, but in my head, like, and again, this might be like uh, a logical fallacy, but I look at the Denver Nuggets. Like, who's the third star on that team? Michael Porter Jr. 
sure. Is he a star though? Like, is he like he's obviously he's like very he's very good, and he does things well. And not to take away from him at all, but like they don't have another like quote unquote star. Like they have last year when they won the championship, they had a hyper scoring guard and. Nicole Jokic obviously does things differently from Joel and they're they're different but their blueprint is there right like yeah. a lot of good switchable kind of all around wings and guards a really really good offensive guard and then your center who's kind of the hub of everything and you kind of are following that mold right now I think that Tyrese Maxey sure. and Jamal Murray are I don't know where you want to put them but compare them I think they Pretty they close. operated they operate yeah. in similar areas as well um so i think that they're like you can follow that mold i think you have to upgrade a bit like a guy like michael porter jr in that realm you know what i mean but i don't think that they need to go like break the bank for a quote-unquote star when you could just add some pieces so i think if you go into the playoffs as constructor right now like i don't know if they win the championship but they're gonna they're gonna compete and none of their series are gonna be easy i think nick nurse is uh you know also a really really big ticket to have in your back pocket in a playoff series because he knows how to win a championship. He did it. So um, that's also another thing that they have in their corner as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and yeah, I don't think they win a championship without uh, making an additional move to your point about the nuggets. Like I think Denver is very much onto, and I think the rest of the NBA has caught up of the way to win is not assembling the amount of star power. And I, and I think this is a lesson that Daryl Morey just recently learned. And I hope that it yeah. sticks with him. This is a lesson that the Clippers are currently learning that plenty of other teams have have found out does not quite work. The only time it works, it takes a special group of stars for it, for guys to properly buy in. Like a guy like Chris Bosh, who was content with being essentially a spot-up shooter after being an all-star for years. Kevin Love, similar situation where he was bought into just doing that role. That is not everybody. That is not James Arden. But to speak on roster construction as a whole, that is the secret, is you have these quote-unquote stars, the one or two guys, and then you find guys to fill in the gaps. I... I I think your Michael Porter Jr. is a little better than you're giving him credit. He's just a hyper-efficient shooter. Um, But I understand your point. I I think Aaron Gordon's the guy I don't think gets enough enough credit on that Denver team for doing the little things and picking up for Jokic's slack defensively, being a guy that is a lob threat on the offensive end who's some easy offense, just a safety valve for them. I do think the Sixers might be missing their Aaron Gordon. And and for me, that's OG Ananobi. That is the guy that I have my sights set on. I don't think it is this massive star, and OG is still a pretty big name. I, I'm le- trending more towards like a guy like that than I am a Zach Levine at this point in time. But kind of curious your thoughts there. Yeah, I think I, I do think the only problem with OG, um, I like him. I, I think, dude, I, I think when we, if he's ever a Sixer, people are going to like reevaluate what defense means, like what this defense is going to look like, dude. If he's guarding their best wing and Joel is is roaming the rim it's going to be like hell on earth trying to score on the Sixers. And that's awesome. Um, I do think that that would be an off season thing. Like I I think the way that I look at it is the most likely outcome for this season is they make a trade for Malcolm Brogdon or Alex Caruso or somebody of that sort that can come in and like plug a pretty big hole and like make this team take them up a little bit of a notch. And then they go get a guy like OG in the off season to sign here. Yeah, I like I do worry that one, his price is going to be a little bit too high Two, the Raptors are just too stubborn to trade him. Yeah, stupid, stubborn, stupid, whatever you want to say. Can I be on record? I want I don't don't know if people are talking about this. I've heard it before. Like Pascal Siakam can stay in the other country. Like I don't want him anywhere near this team. 
he's not the answer. Um, but when you're looking at it, I think he's, you also like your picks start to really, really add up come the draft, right? Like you go from three to like five mm-hmm. post draft. So you can, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different ways, outcomes that you can go from here. Uh, but in my mind, I think you make that smaller trade during the season before the deadline and then off season, you can either make another trade because you'll have more picks to trade and you have all that cap space to make sure that you take care of those, you know, obviously take care of Tyrese, but bring in another, you know, player that fits a role that you're really looking for and they have the opportunity to do that. So I think that they can upgrade this year and go into the off season with a lot of flexibility as well. Yeah, it's definitely a blank check for Tyrese Maxey. And then you're looking for that third piece to to marry him and Joel Embiid, uh, find the, the final piece to complete that. That's for sure the outlook there. I do agree with you about Pascal Siakam. I've never been a Siakam guy. I've on many occasions called him Tobias Harris with a permanent green light. And he just doesn't pass the eye test for me. Like every basket he scores looks so difficult. And I know he puts up some absurd numbers and I've seen him have some really good games for sure. But it just like... I, I just don't quite buy it. It does. It just to me does not stand up. And I think like I'm very curious what his outlook for here. I definitely don't think he's a one. I don't even really think he's a two. Uh, I I'm curious what his outlook is for here. And for Toronto as a whole, they got no clue what they're doing, man. Both both Siakam and OG are going to be free agents this year. OG has a player option. Scotty Barnes is very clearly like their building block. But they took this like versatile positionless basketball like too far to the point where they don't have any guys that can like score or shoot, which is. Yeah. A pretty important part of basketball and they lost fred van fleet this offseason they lost for guys free. that they yeah for free another guy that just walked in free agency which is like the number one what you should not be doing as a franchise is letting talented players walk and leave for nothing which is what they're it seems like they're kind of planning to do with both oj and pascal so i don't really understand what they're doing up there completely scotty barnes has looked very good this year i'll give him credit and I, I understand him as like a building block but i think his ceiling's below a, a 1a star too i i just I think he's best served as kind of a connector and, and closer to an Aaron Gordon model than a than he is like a Joel Embiid or Tyrese Maxey for sure. But who knows? I do get it up there. Uh, but the point that I guess I'll circle back to is it is nice from the Sixers perspective to be sitting right here. The vibes are high within the team. The assets are in the closet in a way they have not been for several years. And you do have a chance to kind of sit back, not rush things, evaluate. So I guess the, the grass is probably the greenest has been in Philadelphia in the Daryl Morey era and and beyond. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it's not just like it is obviously the way that they're playing. It's Tyrese being 23 and like having this whole career in front of him that we're, you know, he's he's been the first one that has not only like we've put the trust in him and he's given back. You know what I mean? Like the other yeah. stars that we've put in that trust and obviously Joel, uh, but he was so much more of a question mark coming into the league. Like he missed his two first his first two seasons. So yeah. like He's the first guy to come in, show promise, deliver on that promise, and then some, and then some, and then some. Um, so that's exciting. You have Joel who looks refreshed and he looks great. You have this team full of wings that we've never had before. And on top of that, you have so much flexibility in terms of your cap space and you have assets to go get a start. Like all the things have kind of like, it's been a whirlwind to get to this point. I actually can't really even believe that we're here from, if yeah. you probably go back to like, september podcast or august podcast you're like this sounds horrible it's gonna be a terrible year we might be punting this year and not even competing at all to now fat like fast forward to here and it's like holy shit tyrese might be all nba and joel's defensive player of the year and we got four or five different wings that can come in and guard and shoot and dribble it's like whoa how did we get to this point um so a lot of reason to be excited and 
Um, obviously, we've been, I feel like we got excited pretty early, but people didn't buy in naturally. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, I feel like it's hard not to watch this team and be like, dude, I'm ready to, I'm ready to watch this team play for the long haul. And I think that they are, you know, maybe a, a little bit short of what could be a championship roster. But in terms of their attitude and the way they've been playing, I don't want to put a cap on them. So I'm, I'm ready for this kind of just to play out and hopefully they make an adjustment here or there and they might be in a, a really good spot come the end of the season. Yeah. And, and side note, Daryl Morey also bit off and tossed a grenade into Los Angeles who happened to have two of the possible premier free agents on the market in Paul George and Kawhi Leonard next offseason as we talk about this cap space plan. So James Harden could be the gift that keeps on giving to Philadelphia yeah. if we want to look at it from <laughs> positive aspect there. But any any official changes for season prediction? Do you think this team can go 81 and one? Yeah. I think so. I think they will. I I think they will. Now we'll see. I want to say, I do want to say, um, I like the in-season tournament. I think it's fun. Okay. I think it's good. Um, nice. I think the courts are bad. Mostly. I haven't seen all yeah. of them yet, but I think from what I've experienced so far, I think those are bad. But I think in-season tournament, good. I think it's fun. I think it's good for the players. I think it's good for the league. I wish they everything got explained a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, yeah. But I think as it goes, we'll get a little bit more comfortable with that. They do too much with the courts and the logos, and they do too much with the jerseys. But everything aside from that, I think I'm in um, on the in-season tournament. I think I'm a fan of it. I'm a supporter of it. And I just wanted to say that because I feel like it's kind of controversial at this point. Yeah, no, and I'm mostly on your side there. That I, I do agree. I do think some of the tournaments, I mean, some of the courts just straight up suck. But I think the coolest moments are like still coming. I think once we get past the group stage, we start to get into like the elimination side of things. Yeah, that's when it's going to be some fun basketball. So as much as it is a little confusing right now, everyone's still figuring it out. I think once we get past this group stage and we start to get into the bracket and the elimination games and guys moving on, I do think people are going to like it and it's going to kind of up the intensity a little bit in the way that the, the NBA, that's their goal of it. So yeah, shout out to the NBA for at least trying. And I, I do agree with you that I, I approach it with an open mind and I'm kind of liking the NC tournament as well. Yeah. And I, I think like, I think it again, it'll grow like next five years. Like I think it'll be a really good thing. And everyone wants players and teams to care about November basketball. This is the way right. to do it. This is the way to do it. And it might be minuscule to some people like, oh, $500,000 doesn't matter. It matters, especially to some of these young guys that don't have big contracts. Like, that's a lot of money, man. That's a yeah, ton I'll of money. It. I'll take it. I'll man. take it if, yeah, <laughs> if they don't want it. I also yeah. love that Joel um, shot the shot at the end of the game against the Pistons. And they all got pissed at him. But he was like, no, it counts. Point differential matters. <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> he's right. And I, I thought he got it off, too. I, I thought he did, I, too. And it's it was... My friend texted me. Is like that was the over. That was the, spread, that was the yeah. over, and the spread. It, the Sixers were minus nine on that. That they ended up losing by eight before that, or winning by eight before that shot. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, a shot that mattered for quite a few people out there. A lot of people. That's hilarious. <laughs> but I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he. I, I'm glad he justified it by saying point differential matters in this tournament. That was great. Yeah, absolutely. So who knows? Maybe we're we're planning a parade for the in season tournament here in Philadelphia. I'm there. Why not? Why not? I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> we will be there. But James, appreciate you for joining me on this one. I'm happy the vibes are high, that the spirits are great in Philadelphia right now. Appreciate all you guys for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to drop a comment, drop a like, hit that subscribe button. We'll be back with you for the length of the season. And make sure you guys are tuning into the post-game shows. I've been doing them after every game. They've been uh, awesome vibes in those as well, high spirits after every one. So stay posted for that, and feel free to pop on whenever, right after a Sixers game, because you'll know where to find us. Talk to you guys next time. Peace.